Welcome back, everybody. We are here with another episode of Check the Net, an Impact 89 FM college basketball podcast. I am your host, Josh Guprode, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Colin Pearson and Kylie Tabler. We are also joined once again by Derek Mitchell from last week's episode and also Impact's NBA podcast, Courtside Convo. Derek, good to have you back with us this week. I really appreciate you guys having me back here for uh, part two to this thing and the last one of the semester, so I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. We have an exciting episode today. We're going to go back to the transfer portal. There's been a lot going on, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the players on the men's side that have been looking towards the NBA draft because there's been a lot of those guys retaining their eligibility and moving forward you know, with their careers. But let's start on the women's side because there was some big news today, and honestly, we are texting about this. Sometimes we record on Tuesday. Sometimes we record on Thursday. I would have been really irritated with myself if I would have decided, because it would have been, I'm just going to be honest, I, I I had a lot of stuff going on this week, and it would have been easier for me to schedule on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I, for whatever reason, I didn't do it, and I was just like, whatever, I'll just have the podcast be later in the week. Thank God I did, because this is probably the biggest news that has happened since we started this show. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, in, in no terms question. of, like, active news, like, the, the NCAA championships were pretty big, and, like, but we covered those after they happened. Yep. Like, yeah. this is something that literally broke within the last five, six hours and is ridiculous. Haley Van Lith, the top transfer on the market on the women's side, going to LSU, and she was a do-not-contact transfer. So for those who don't know... She was such a highly coveted transfer that she was actually able to be in that exclusive group where no coaches were allowed to openly contact her or recruit her in any way. The only way to recruit her would or was for her to reach out to the schools. And so this was her pretty much targeting LSU as somewhere she really wants to go. Kim Mulkey is somebody that she almost played for before. Well, when Van Lith ended up at Louisville, her second choice by most accounts was Baylor when Mulkey was there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's there's a lot to get into here. Now, she teams up with Angel Reese, mm-hmm. who there was just a lot of buzz about. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in. I want to jump in with my favorite part of this and just start with what I think is the most interesting. Are Is this the best pair of villains now? That yes. women's college basketball has yes. ever seen. There's no question. Because, I love the narrative. I mean, Colin, like, I know you've had some thoughts about Van Lith. We all seem to like, you know, Angel Reese, but yeah. like I, I you know Colin, player, player, you know. You had you had some thoughts on Van Lith and the transfer stuff. I'm sure a lot of people don't like this move from Van Lith. No, she's moving in her graduate year. I mean, come on. Well, really? and and jumping to the reigning national champions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, you know, two time all ACC. She was an ACC All-Freshman back when she was a freshman. She's two times NCAA All-Region, which is pretty coveted considering it's just for players that play well in the tournament and get their teams far. And, I mean, Louisville's a great team, and they are losing a big one with Van Lith. Yeah, no, I'm so excited she went to LSU. I think it's so so cool. It stirs the pot. I love it. Sure. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's a great, great thing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she averaged 20 points a game. So then she'll kind of help to provide a lot more, some more scoring outside of Angel Reese. So I think that'll be really good for them for sure. I think it brings the hype to LSU in a way. It just makes everybody <laughs> kind of excited because I'm excited to see how that's going to play out with having mm-hmm. somebody draw out the defense to the three-point line like that. I'm just excited to watch it go down. So that's going to be awesome to look at. Well, and a lot of, and this is not my opinion, but a lot of people don't like Kim Mulkey either. Like, I love like, Kim. Oh, and I, I just said it's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. <laughs> a lot of people seem to have issues here or there with Kim Mulkey. A lot of people definitely have issues, whether that's valid or not, with Angel Reese. Mm-hmm. And the, Van Lith kind of joins that party, but also how it's, it's going to be so annoying for other teams because Reese is that type of in-your-face mm-hmm. player. Where you're dealing with that all day, and then like very quietly as that's going on, you're just getting shredded from the three point line. Yeah. By yep. Van Lith, and she's just doing, and it's quiet, and you don't really know what's happening. And then she's got thirty, and you've been listening to Reese the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're getting out out coached by Mulkey the whole yeah. time too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, yeah. what can you do? We got threat. That's scary. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, but it's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing. It's like, it's not, I think that's why I ask the villain question because I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's also like, these are all, it's, it's not like a, um, what's a good example of this? It's not like a Dylan Brooks where it's just like, 
oh yeah like you just you like hearing yourself talk and this is what you're gonna do and like oh what was what did he say like i don't i'm not afraid of bears i poke bears or something yeah Yeah, then he he skipped two straight games of media availability because they lost i don't want (laughs) to talk well the situation (laughs) in memphis was so bad that on the nba level that damian lillard was tweeting out somebody said something like you can't you can't be the man one day and have an identity crisis the next. Well, and that's the one thing just to bring it back that I have no fear about with any of these involved no, at LSU. Like no. Van Lith knows she's good, she knows she's great, she knows what level she's at. Reese definitely knows that and is not mm-hmm. afraid to tell you. And, and Mulkey's been around. Like Mulkey knows she's a great coach. Mm-hmm. She had success as a player too. It, it feels like it it feels like Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. Honestly, I mean, honestly, yeah. It really yeah. does. It seems, I know it's NBA to college and, and men, whatever, but it really does because that's the type of player that this is. Yeah, mm-hmm. it almost begs the question, like, could LSU go undefeated next year? I, is I mean, it possible? I it. Is it possible that yeah. they go undefeated, 100%. win another national yeah. title? I mean, that's a distinct possibility in my mind. I, I definitely yeah. think so because especially with um, – I mean, South Carolina went undefeated this year up until the tournament, so I, it's very much possible. But yeah, especially with Van Van Lith, I think it's for do you, sure. Do you think this team with Van Lith and Reese is better than South Carolina? Pretty pretty decisively, because if they went undefeated, mm. and that's and that's the bar. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's just what comes to mind for me. Because if if South Carolina did it, and these guys aren't, in your opinion, better than South Carolina, maybe we're just getting wrapped up in two big names. I mean, because LSU yeah. still has to have the rest of the team. So I think mm, this is hard because I think for South Carolina, their deficit is that they didn't have any outside shooters. Mm. LSU yeah. has that. However, South Carolina did beat LSU by like 20 this year, like in season. So I don't know. I think if they would have matched up in the tournament, I think South Carolina would have won. But I think bringing Van Lith. I think if they had Van Lith and they played South th- this year South Carolina, I think they probably would have won because they couldn't contain. I know the comparison for Van Lith and Clark, Caitlin Clark is going to be like, they're not the same player, but they're both very good players. I mean, Van Lith is still a very good three-point shooter and she will shoot. So I think it just kind of, I think they probably, yeah, I think they could. You see, you said that she will shoot. That's my worry. Uh, my worry <laughs> is that Van Lith and Reese won't get well to get along well together because they both kind of are that player that kind of takes over a team and like Mm -hmm. is the person that when they get the ball they shoot and so I'm wondering if there will be a rough dynamic between the two I think Mulkey will hold have a handle on that for sure well they do have two big egos in a way so I don't know if they'll clash or not or they will mash mash together that's a good point but I think it's I I, and I agree with that Derek but I think it's a different kind of ego which is what I was Mm -hmm. getting at a little earlier like like Van Lith, I mean, she's she's gotten involved in trash talk and stuff like that and whatever, and there was the whole thing with her and Clark. Van Lith has an ego that manifests in a very different way than Reese, which is why I think it can work. I, I think of a lot of, like, the great, like, and not to keep dipping back into this pot, but, like, I already made the Katie joining the Warriors thing, but, like, that, like, some some great teams, like this LSU team is going to be, like, the Warriors were in the NBA, like, you you just have that many big personalities, but like Draymond and Steph, those guys have all of the gravitational pull in the world in a locker mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Totally different people can coexist like there's no tomorrow. It just works. It it just works. And and Reese is very loud in a good way. I like that about her. Mm-hmm. And I also think that part of why I don't worry about this mix is because Reese can get her offense off of Van Lith misses. Yeah. That's true. Like like I don't like if these were two guards, I would be worried. Doesn't work in college, doesn't work in the NBA, doesn't mm-hmm. work in the WNBA. It's just something about basketball. It just doesn't work. And when you have that balance like LSU has, where you have the big and the guard, mm-hmm. I think that functions much better in terms of pushing for championships. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. I don't think there's a better story. That's why we have to start with it. Oh, yeah, no. I, I They're mean, definitely, as of right now, probably the favorites for next year. The only thing I'd say is that Paige Buchers is going to come back next year for UConn, so we'll see how that goes. Well, and and UConn, I, we don't have a lot in the notes about UConn, but it's kind of you don't need to have a lot of notes. Like the the staff's still there. Yeah, it's like, UConn. They'll 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 have those years where they're just like, hey, remember us, right? And, and, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it, it actually could be one of those years. Yeah. With that, f- with our last transfer portal episode, we talked a lot about 
especially on the women's side, there was a lot of players that hadn't decided yet. Van Lith was one of them the, mm-hmm. that hadn't decided yet. Another one of those players was Asia Davis, who I was really interested in, from Northern Illinois. And she's actually going to Seton Hall and filling some of the void left by one of the players Colin wanted to talk about back on that episode, yep. Lauren Park Lane, which I find very interesting because, one, I think it's a little interesting from a Seton Hall perspective because you're losing a basically a superstar guard. You're not replacing it with a guard of really any kind. You just went out and got a big. Like it's You're kind of retooling your whole team, but you still have a star, which I think is, at the end of the day, what matters. Yeah. If you have someone who can make a huge difference on your team, I mean— we have in here that she had back-to-backs. Uh, Davis had back-to-back seasons with 12-plus rebounds, first in rebounding in, um, in the MAC last year, sixth in scoring. She's good, and you're not going to take anything away from that. Seton Hall can work with that. They're going to work her to get her up to the level that Seton Hall is going to play at and what their competition is going to be playing at, and then they're probably going to end up trying to build their offense around her, around her or inc- incorporate her into it more. So I honestly, though, I don't think them losing – Park Lane, but filling in their, her position with a post is necessarily a bad thing because they can just adapt to it. For sure. And well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I mean, Derek talked a little bit about this on, on what we were talking about with LSU, about fit and things like that. There's a, a pretty different chemistry that goes into an offense being surrounded or surrounding a big mm-hmm. into an offense that's able to be initiated by a Lauren Park Lane type guard. Derek, do you think there's going to be issues at Seton Hall, I mean, we, we kind of talked about this uh, when we were talking on the men's side about Hunter Dickinson, about how sometimes uh, interior players struggle mm-hmm. a little bit when there's nobody to get them the ball. I mean, if Asia Davis was going to play with Park Lane, I'd be talking about this almost as like an <laughs> LSU situation. Mm-hmm. Not quite at that level, but like a very dynamic duo. But, I, I mean, now that she's replacing Park Lane, do you, do you think this is better for Seton Hall moving forward? It's kind of a, a neutral step? I mean, where do you land on this? I think it'll be, like, a neutral step because they're such a good team and they have, like, really good talent. So, I mean, when they come into this, they're just going to have to work with her and then the coach is going to get with her because they already have a really good coaching system. So it'll be easy to just work with a new player and implement them into a system. And as they grow and they practice over the summer and getting into the year, I think she'll be able to fit in perfectly with her offense. They'll learn how to get her the ball and get her the spots and be able to pass the rock around. And she'll be able to score and like produce rebounds and get her offensive touches that she usually needs to so they can win a couple of games next year or a lot of games. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. And I also think along with that, this staff just spent all of that time developing Lauren Park Lane. So I'm sure this staff will be able to take some of that knowledge that they got from developing Lauren Park Lane and use that to help the newer, less experienced guards better accommodate Davis. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely know what they're doing after Lauren Park Lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, let's move on to the Lauren Park Lane side of this because we, we talked a lot about Seton Hall there. And Lauren Park Lane has a new home, too, as she's moving on to Mississippi State. The interesting fact here is that Mississippi State assistant Gabe Lazo was actually familiar with Park Lane from her high school days because Lazo coached at Stony Brook at the time and had done some recruiting in that area. So he was actually a driving force behind this. But she ends up at Mississippi State. The thing that I found the most interesting here, she has already talked about the impact she expects to have and thinks she could average as many as 10 assists a game. Yeah, she's been very clear on that. You look at all of her stats from Seton Hall, and there's no question she can make a big impact. And her throwing out numbers is great. I mean, 10 assists per game, that specifically is going to be a huge step for Mississippi State if she can do it. And frankly, I think she can. Looking at both who Mississippi State plays, how Mississippi State plays, and you know all of her stats from before, I, I don't see any reason why she can't. I don't see any reason why she couldn't go more. I think she would be a, just a, a plug-and-play type of player. She'll just come right in and she'll. I think she'll get 10 assists again. That's kind of easy with like 20 points again. She's already averaging the past year and shooting 40% from field goal. I think that will just be easy for her to come in there and just start like kind of running the team in a way and just kind of getting them to success. Yeah, I. so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on on that because I've one I love the confidence I love I love like hey I'm gonna go do this mm-hmm. I also think that we just spent five minutes talking about how good LSU is gonna be and then we had a hard time deciding if they were better than South Carolina those are both in the SEC with Mississippi State I just wonder if that's too tough of a conference to average 10 assists a night in like, like yeah. I just from a competition True. standpoint, this is nothing against Lauren Park Lane I just wonder if she's a, kind of a little bit just biting off more than she can chew there not really realizing 
the level of talent that she's maybe I shouldn't say not realizing. I'm sure she's very aware of the talent mm-hmm. there. I, I shouldn't say not realizing, but maybe underestimating some of the yeah. the jump that's about to occur with I mean the SEC is the Premier League right now mm-hmm. in the women's game. I'm, oh, for I'm sure. just going to yeah. say it. It's the to me it's the Premier League. It's got the two best teams if unless you count Iowa who has the best player. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the SEC has the two best teams and Mississippi State was good last year. They made the tournament and actually pulled off an upset. But they they were an 11 seed. I yeah. mean this, you know, they were True. pretty far down the SEC ladder. I think that's where I land with the 10 assists a game. I do think it's possible she definitely has the talent for it. I just wonder if the conference is a little tough. And so I, I just want to leave the as we wrap up the discussion on the women's side. I mean, we there's still some big names out there and this, that, and the other. Is is there anything that we haven't talked about that stands out to anybody in terms of like trends that we're gonna see? Because I, I think aside from everything we talked about with LSU this year, the Van Lit thing is huge because I think that sets a very strong precedent mm-hmm. for that type of thing in the future to be okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that I have a problem with it now, but a lot of people do. And that being like th- this might be a floodgate situation. Yeah, I think you're going to see an increase in these high profile players transferring to other high profile teams. Because I know Stanford, I talked about her la- in the last transfer portal, Lauren Betts, who was the number one uh, 2022 recruit, is leaving Stanford. Who is one of the great, one of the best teams in on the women's side? I could see her going to a, another top program because I think that they want the same level of competition and they want the same level of coaching, which you're going to get with those top programs, but they just need a different environment. So I can definitely see more of those top players moving to other top programs, and I don't see anything wrong with it. I wonder if we're also going to see kind of the same kind of thing we've been seeing in the men's side for the last twenty or so years where players start out at a little bit of a lower-level school and transfer up mm-hmm. um, into those higher-level programs for their junior, senior, grad years. I think we're kind of starting to see that play out a little bit. You know, you see these top players in the MAC and then all these smaller conferences start transferring up and going to different schools. I think we're going to see that a lot more in women's and that kind of storyline of starting small, going big, rather than just immediately going big. For sure, yeah. Well, let's let's jump into the men's side then, because there's there hasn't been as much. I I think that's been interesting too. Uh, a little side note before we really dive into it, I've been very intrigued by how much more active the women's portal has been than the mm-hmm. men's portal. Oh, yeah. absolutely, that's kind of unusual. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of what I mean. Is it's it's really blown me away. I remember the first couple of episodes, we were pretty, all of us were kind of leaning into expecting the men's portal to pop off at any second. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just been steadily kind of plodding along. And then like the women's portal has been the one that has these huge bursts of news and announcements and all these these high profile transfers. But on the men's side, there has been a lot. Gonzaga got, brought in a lot of guys. You North Carolina brought in a lot of guys. I, I kind of wanted to talk about another spot, actually, because I think a lot of Gonzaga and those transfers and the UNC transfers are getting a lot of coverage everywhere. I wanted to talk about the additions to Ole Miss because they've been very quietly cleaning up in the recent times, in the, or the recent days in the transfer portal. They landed Jamarion Sharp uh, from Western Kentucky, who is currently the tallest player in D1. Uh, wow. Led the led the NCAA in block percentage last year, seven foot five right now. Clearly going to start walk in and start for them. They also added Brandon Murray, who used to play at LSU and then transferred to Georgetown. Now he's transferring again. He averaged almost fourteen points a game last year. And then they added Austin Nunez from Arizona State, who didn't you know averaged about four points a game in his freshman year. But it's still another pickup. Mm-hmm. It's another guy. And all of those guys following Chris Beard, who just he refuses to go away. <laughs> he will. He will always be okay. I mean, he's yeah. he's a great coach. He's a great coach. I I I I'm not gonna get into anything other than that <laughs> because I can't. But like it, 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 he he just he will never stay down. He will always mm-hmm. find a new job, and he did, and he's killing it in the portal. <laughs> so I, I I really wanted to talk about that because unlike the SEC on the women's side, the SEC on the men's side feels very up for grabs. Feels mm-hmm. very wide open. It feels like any team that makes a solid amount of pickups can make a big run. Alabama is obviously there. Arkansas is very good, but like Ole Miss with all of these additions and a very good coach can make some noise in this conference. No, for sure. I think 
yeah, I think it's just going to honestly come down to who has the better uh, transfer portal class yeah. <laughs> at this point because everyone is picking up so many different good players. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be a competition next year. I think there's going to be a huge shift in who actually makes the tournament next year too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can easily see Ole Miss making the tournament, but like some of these teams that are losing players, some of these teams that are really doing well in the portal, you know, you're going to see a huge shift on like, Oh, I thought you guys were bad. Uh, well, actually, uh, we're a completely <laughs> different team from last year. We've got six new players, you know. So I think we're going to see a lot of that, and that's going to depend on coaching as well, making sure that those players all fit. I feel like in the last couple of years, there's a, just like the transfer portal has really just changed how programs are coming up in like the world of like NCAA sports. It's kind of crazy to see how just like they can bring in multiple D1 players and kind of underrated players who are just chilling in the portal and sweep them up, and I think it's just kind of cool to see how they come into like these games now and they play at play up at a higher level and when they make it to the tournament, they can really shock a lot of people and shock a lot of the D one schools that we all see all these players come to. I just think it's amazing to see when the tournament comes around next year. I'm excited to watch mm-hmm. see how they can just compete with each other. It's gonna be awesome. I think the big with this LS or I mean, the old miss group here is is sharp because he's such an unknown. I I mean he only averaged seven points and seven rebounds in, in limited minutes at Western Kentucky. But he led the country in block percentage, like I said, and then uh, the year prior was second in block percentage. It's incredible, arguably the best shot blocker in college basketball right now. Mm-hmm. Will probably average a double double, you know, uh, mm-hmm. given yeah. the, the minutes increase. You know, he's probably going to start. Uh, the the one that I'm kind of least interested in is Nunez, just because he's so young. That just feels like he's. And that's not again not a problem with Nunez's game. He's just more of a down the line development. Mm-hmm. But Murray also was a very good scorer at both LSU and Georgetown, and having a guy that's seven foot five in the middle offensively should help keep him wide open. I also just think, like I said, Beard's a good coach. I mean, we know what yeah. he's going to do. Uh, I, I know, I know, people have their thoughts on that, and that's totally fair. And I don't <laughs> disagree with any of that. But at the same time, he's still a very. That's why he's at Ole Miss. And yeah. I, it has That's no- why he's getting portal recruits. It has nothing to do with anything other than he's incredibly good at his job. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just one of those things where I think it'll be interesting because, well, and that's the other thing where we in the SEC, the juggernauts for a very long time were Florida and Kentucky kind of yeah. ex- exclusively. And both of those programs have kind of taken a, not a back seat, but a step back. Like, mm-hmm. Kentucky is definitely not the Kentucky of 10 years ago. No. Uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's no not way. even close. I would say the same goes for Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because even though Florida was never at the level that old Kentucky was, it was mm-hmm. pretty close. I mean, some of those Bradley Beal teams, like, I mean, there are some very good yeah. Florida yes. teams. We watched two Florida teams make the Final Four this year, and it was not Florida. That's, I mean. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, well that's, that's kind of all you need to. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't even <laughs> thought of that. But, I mean, yeah. Wow. With that, I also wanted to look at what's happening at West Virginia because, as Colin was saying, we might see this big shakeup with all these tournament teams. West Virginia is a team that, with Huggins as the coach, if they make the tournament, they're probably going to make noise. Like it's, it it feels honestly, you guys can call me out if I'm wrong on this. It feels very similar to what we watch at Michigan State, where like it doesn't matter if they're a six seed or an eight seed or a nine seed. They have Huggins, and you know what they're going to, you know what it's like. Yeah, it's like Izzo. You know in the tournament. That Izzo is going to take care of business. They're not going to. Michigan State is sh- almost will never lose in the first round. I don't want to mm-hmm. jinx anything, but like they usually win a couple tournament games. Yeah, yeah. West Virginia does the same thing. Syracuse is similar too, or mm-hmm. was with Bayheim, which is where West Virginia pulled one of these guys from. Jesse Edwards coming from Syracuse, also Kirk Creesa coming from Arizona. The reason I like this is because I don't think either Edwards or Creesa individually are like groundbreaking stud players, yeah. but both fit incredibly well into what West Virginia does. West Virginia is an incredible team, especially just competing against the Big 12 schools. They can stay with anyone, but they do a really good job of switching up their game between different games. You know, when they're playing Kansas State, they match up really well against Kansas State because they play a different game than when they're playing Iowa State. Yeah, you very know? fluid uh, style of coaching. They they really do a good job of playing multiple styles. That's something you don't see in a lot of teams. And I think West Virginia, especially right now with the addition of these two guys, will really take that to a whole nother level. And with a completely vamped up Big 12 
mess that we're going to see next year. <laughs> I think West Virginia, you got to keep them on the radar. I'm glad that you brought up coaching when it comes to how teams like switch their playing styles in the NCAA tournament because it's so important to see how like when you play on a team like Kansas State or you play a team like MSU one time, it's just like we have different players, we have different play styles, and when you can switch the teams and switch the styles, it's really important that you can like guard those certain players and guard that talent, and that's how you see a, a good coach is when they play that well, when they rise up in the NCAA tournament. Like I said, for the women's tournament, the segment ago, but just seeing how picking up these two players is fantastic because it could just add to that success that they've already had, and now they're going to be a real dark horse in the tournament. Yeah, they're just going to have to make sure that coming in, um, these two new players are just going to be able to adapt to that, be able to get used to switching play styles every against different opponents. So that'll probably end up being a learning curve for like the first few games, but I have no doubt they'll probably catch on quick and make some really great contributions. Especially with Carissa, because Arizona was not a very good team at that. We saw that with their loss to Princeton. Princeton, yeah. all they had to do was look at how Arizona played every single game, because it was <laughs> the same every single game. It's a good style until you see a team that realizes what you're doing and is able to adapt to that. Well, and I think that's part of why I like it so much, too, is because, like I was kind of mentioning earlier with the, the weaknesses of these players, both are very good players, but... Crease uh, is not really known for defense. I think the full court press of West Virginia and the high intensity defense kind of helps cover a guy like that. Yeah, like when when you have a scheme that by design is so oppressive defensively and, and can force so many turnovers, you can kind of have a guy that might not be a tremendous on ball possession by possession defender because you're going to scheme other possessions for yourself by creating turnovers. Along with that, Edwards isn't a very good passer. You know, he, he's pretty pretty traditional college big, led uh, led the ACC in blocks, second in the ACC in rebounds, averaged a double-double, doesn't have much of a jump shot, though. is very, very around the basket, very, in, you know, interior-oriented player. Pairing him with a guy like Creasa that averaged five assists a game last year is perfect because Edwards needs the ball in his hands. He's not going to dish to other guys, but you have Creasa. He can dish for your entire offense. Yeah. I mean, that's five, a very good point. five assists mm-hmm. a game in college, is that's all you need. Yeah. You make yep. a good point with that. Didn't but, didn't see that pairing, but yeah. No, yeah, I sure. mean, that's that's kind of what landed me on it, just because I don't think either of these guys individually are like a... Uh, it's not like talking about Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. We're talking about, like, Max Abbas. And it's not to throw shade on these guys. Like, both of these guys are very good players. But, like, we, we all know who these, like, one-of-one, like, instant impact can play on any team. Like, I kind of look at Caleb Love that way. We're like, do I think he'd be as good everywhere? No, but, like... Is he good anywhere? Yes. I just think mm-hmm. he has yeah. one of those types of games. Any team he's on, he's good. I think part of why guys like Chris and Edwards hit the portal in the first place is because their original fits aren't that good. I don't think – I think Creasa had – there were some problems with his game at Arizona. I mean, he's not a very good defender. He's not very big. He's not a very good rebounder. All of that stuff is a lot easier to mask yeah. in a program like West Virginia where – the the rebounding is structured into the zone defense and the and the and the the full court press and all this and all that and then the guards are more about being floor generals. That's all he is. That's that's what he's best at. There's also been a lot of guys that are declaring for the draft. Yes. That are yes. keeping their eligibility. I want to kind of move through this a little bit faster here because we have a lot of names here. But the two that I wanted to start with were Imani Bates from Eastern Michigan and Amari Bailey from UCLA because Similar to last week when we talked about Mikey Williams, these guys were that level of high school prospect. Yeah. They were were that level of name. They were that level of reputation. I also want to talk about Bates because like how Colin was saying with how where the women athletes, they go to the portal instead of going to the WNBA. Mm -hmm. I don't I think these guys just make the jump. Like Imani Bates is the exact type of player that you would think would go to a larger school. He's just going to go make the money. He's just going to go mm-hmm. to the NBA. That's He's not going to do yeah. exactly what you you know laid out on the women's side, which I think is a very good point on the women's side. But on the men's side, he's just like, why would I transfer to a bigger school? There is more money in the NBA, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to go get it. And and I think he will. Yeah, I agree. Yes. He he basically carried Eastern Michigan this year. So he was, I don't want to stir the pot, but he was their whole team. You you say basically carried. He was he, their whole he team. Yeah. Carried, he was yeah. their whole team, but also he completely erased the leadership of Noah Farrakhan, mm-hmm. who was their mm-hmm. whole team the year before. And in a similar situation was this big, like viral recruit with yeah. all this buzz. 
ended up having to bounce around a little bit, ended up at Eastern, blew up, and then was a total afterthought, had a had a down year this year and as Bates took over. I think he'll be back, frankly, now that Bates is gone. Mm-hmm. Fair. So you think, if anything, this is more beneficial for Farrakhan. Oh, absolutely. And so Farrakhan, instead of like maybe hitting the portal himself, should just stay because Bates will be gone and he can just run that team again. I think yes. so. Interesting. I, I think that's interesting. I always wonder when it's Mac schools too, because no yeah. Mac school was patient. That's mm-hmm. why Imani no. Bates went there. Like yeah. they made a push to get him. Like <laughs> no Mac school is patient. And and I do think that's interesting, but also like he clearly was way too good for that conference. Right. Yes. I, I mean he nineteen point two points, five point eight rebounds. I, I mean good shooting percentages. Nobody could touch him. He looked like no. he was in high school. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it was it was ridiculous. Bailey, I think, is a little bit more interesting because one, Bailey is a year younger. Bailey also had a better freshman season than Bates had, but then doesn't have that sophomore season that Bailey or, or Bates was able to follow up with. But Bailey at UCLA averaged eleven points, but almost four rebounds, two assists, pretty balanced stats. Was Pac-12 all freshman? Yeah, and yeah. I think both of these guys kind of. Definitely will be drafted, but it's very interesting to see. Like, are they going to go mid first? Are they going to go late first? Are these second round guys? Like, I think both of these guys have some of the widest radiuses of yeah. where they could go in the draft mm-hmm. compared to even some of the other guys that we're going to talk about. I mean, where do you guys land on that? These definitely feel like the biggest names from yeah. this kind of like the from the early entry guys. These yeah. are the two biggest names from the early entries, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't see them. Uh, I see them more probably as late first round, early second round. I, I, I agree with that. I think Bates might sneak up. Yeah. I, I think Bates could sneak up. I think Bailey's stats are what's holding him back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's mm-hmm. a good enough player. I think he challenges Bates any day just in a one-to-one. But Bates has had those stats at Eastern Michigan where at UCLA you can't. It's harder to get those stats. Well, I also just think it's impressive that Bailey started 28 games as a freshman at UCLA. Yeah. Freshmen don't start at UCLA. Absolutely not. That's like a, that's like a thing. That's like especially the UCLA team that was this year. Well, I mean, that, that but team. I mean that's like Kevin Love's talked about that, Russell Westbrook's talked about that. Mm-hmm. Like those two are also guys that got to start as young mm-hmm. players at UCLA and like have talked about like hey, it's not something that happens. Like guys don't just walk into UCLA and in, even if they're good as freshmen. So I think that's more of like I'm more forgiving of Bailey's stats because I'm just impressed that he was able to walk into arguably the most storied program in college basketball mm-hmm. and as a freshman be a starting impact player on a team that made a pretty s- substantial tournament run. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I think I would have liked to see him wait another year. That's where I land mm-hmm. too because Bailey had the big blowout year in year two where – or I mean uh, Bates. Uh, the, yeah. the, the B names are going to mix me up all day. <laughs> but Bates had the big blowout year where he waited one more year and then exploded and now his stock is pretty secure. Yeah. Whereas Bailey – I think Bailey could have torn up the Pac-12 next oh, year. Oh, for sure. He's oh, just, yeah. He, he just needs a little more, – more experience would do him good for I, draft stock. I think he'll get the experience in the G League, though, and I think all of a sudden he's going to get a trade next year in the NBA mm-hmm. that gets him a lot of money, whereas Bates is going for that money outright. I'll be completely honest. I think G League and college levels are pretty similar. And Fair enough. I think mm-hmm. Amari Bailey is just going to thrive on a G League team next year and all of a sudden see his stock blow up then. For sure. I, I think that's interesting. I definitely think that Bailey and Bates – are the most secure of the guys we're talking about in terms of NBA careers. Yeah. I want to talk about Zach Eady, though, because we kind mm-hmm. of said before the show that we had to talk about Eady. Now, he's keeping his college eligibility, which is important. Uh, he was the Naismith Player of the Year, but I i mean, I'm just going to make this quick. I don't think he fits in the NBA. No, me neither. Like, no. at all. No. I, I, I think that's the, just the hard truth of it. I think mm-hmm. of... Uh, I'm not trying to... He's much better than these guys, but I think of uh, Simbalar, I think of Taco Fall, yeah. and I think of like the guys that. And look, he's better than those guys. He's, yes, he's yeah. way yes. better than those guys, but he's not way more athletic than those guys. No, he's and, not mobile. He's not versatile. He can only shoot within like ten feet of the basket, if that. He's pretty much stays within the paint. 
I mean, you need to have more than that if you're going to well, be and that's the, That was the downfall yes. of those guys at the NBA level. Yeah. Was. Because what happens when you go up against somebody like Anthony Davis who's bigger than you, a little stronger than you, starts pushing you around, you're not going to score as many points. Well, you're he's not six be... inches shorter than you, but he's just as strong and he's mm-hmm. faster. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. And his arms are just as long. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he has one job on Purdue, and that's stand under the basket, grab a rebound, or stand under the basket and dunk it. Yeah. That's his one job on Purdue, and that doesn't float in the NBA because mm-hmm. everyone else is that same level. I think that's a good point, too. I think this is a very... I don't want to say sad because it's like he's still going to have a good career. Yeah. But it's just like a very unfortunate case of like if this guy was... If this if Zach Eady was going into the NBA draft in like 2002, he'd be he'd be unreal. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. He'd be, oh, he'd be yeah. ridiculous. He, he would be ridiculous. Uh, and it's just one of those things where like... There's too much touch and uh, I think like ball skill that yeah. I haven't seen from him. No, mm-hmm. if he could develop some kind of outside range. Yeah. Some yeah. and have a little bit develop some kind of mobility. <laughs> Which that I think that's the kicker. He can't really help that. That's I mean, yeah. he's, he's a big lumbering yeah, guy. He's, he's a big man. Yeah. He's gonna lumber around and he's it's like the Kevin <laughs> Hart where he pretends to be Shaq falling down and it takes <laughs> thirty five seconds. Like it's just that's that's these guys. But I, I think something I want to pivot on there is is how we're talking about those ball skills. A couple of players that I do think actually have very good fundamental skills, kind of that polish, are the two Michigan State guys that uh, we've seen yeah. declare early, retain their eligibility, Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogard. Let's wrap this up here. I'm sure we all have tons of fantastic mm-hmm. things we can say about these guys. Yeah. But of looking course. at the draft, I mean, I think both of these guys have very interesting situations. Because mm-hmm. there are, I, I don't think either of them has by any means a perfect game, but both of them have very intriguing games mm-hmm. from an NBA level. They both have a lot of things that I think you can't teach, especially yeah. especially AJ Hogard. I yeah. think has a lot of the like unteachables that you want a player to have. I don't, I don't think Aikens lacks that. I just think that Hogard being the the facilitator of Michigan State's offense a lot of times gives him more of a room to display those things. Mm-hmm. Both of them, I would say, are going to be in the NBA eventually. I don't know yeah. if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I would love to have them both back. Oh, yeah, no, Just for sure. Let's, let's, wrap this up. let's wrap this up with these guys. What do you guys think of Aikens and, and Hogard moving forward? Ugh, I'm so excited to watch them no matter where they're at. Hopefully yeah, it's yes. back here. It's a but... loaded question on my part. I almost shouldn't even ask. Yeah, um, I think that... Aikens is so strong defensively, and the entire season that's what stuck out to me is how good he was defensively. Hogarth is such a good leader and ball handler, and he knows where his skills lie. He knows that he's not the greatest outside shooter. He knows that he's better off to get the—he can distribute the ball well. So I mm-hmm. think that definitely will help him. Aikens is just a scrapper. I mean, his effort is all out, and you're, that's something you can't teach at all. That's just the drive that someone has. So I, again, selfishly would love to see them back, but I think they're going to be successful no matter where they end up. I would yeah. love—okay. No, go for it. <laughs> okay, thank you. I would love to see both of them come back. I'm just really excited. I really want – I'm happy wherever they go, if they go to the league and success, I'll just be crying like a proud father seeing them go and play. <laughs> but, I mean, if they do – I wish they do come back, but, I mean, their games are so different strong. AJ's going to be able to lead any office in the league, in my opinion, when he goes to the NBA. He's just a dimer, and he'll be able to just see the floor. He has floor general Hall of Fame, in my opinion, but I think he'll be able to just see the floor in any, any NBA team and be great with that thing. And Aikens is just a lockdown player. Like against that point guard in Kansas State, he had to guard him the entire game and he was just playing really, really well and kind of locking him up. I know he had a lot of points and a lot of assists, but he kind of kept them grounded and kept them leveled in a way. A lot of his plays were kind of crazy to watch, but I mean, Aikens is a really, really good defensive player and his athleticism is insane. Watching him just soar and dunk the ball like how he does is just beautiful to watch. So I just want to see them come back, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, and I think that, you know, to, to end on that, I think that is the most intriguing point about both players because Aikens with the defense and Hogard with the facilitating, I think both of those guys already have each of those skills at an NBA level, mm-hmm. which is why I think they're testing these draft waters because, like, yeah. maybe they aren't fully ready. I'm not saying I don't think they are. I think both of these guys could get drafted this year. I think what it's going to come down to these two guys is are we going to get drafted higher mm-hmm. if we wait a year? And I think gonna, the answer is yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. 100%. And I, I don't think it's going to be, are we going to get drafted if we wait a year? I think they would get drafted this year. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be, are we going to be drafted higher? Because sometimes waiting can screw you over because you're older, and then you get, you know, especially in basketball, seniors and stuff get way 
drop down draft boards because mm-hmm. there's 18 year old freshman phenoms that you can go get. Right. And so like does staying a year hurt them? Does staying a year help them because they get more on you know tape or more development, whatever? I, I think that's what it comes down to is they're just going to have to decide if the if they think it's going to work out better next year. Or if they can take that swing this year, which is why, which is exactly why you keep the eligibility. Yeah. This is exactly why you keep the eligibility. Mm-hmm. But sure. that is what we had for this week. We still have full court press, though, as we do every week. <laughs> We're going to wrap this up. And I think I want to start with... I want to start with Derek's because we've we've I've I've had I've had a mascot thing before and I went on a rant. Derek wasn't on the episode, but my full cart press was about how they, we need to market more mascots mm-hmm. and get crazier mascots out there. You have stuff related to mascot hype. Why don't you just break down what you wanted to talk about? I'm curious what you have to say. <laughs> so this week I want to talk about just how mascots kind of bring the hype. For Michigan State, as an example, as I walk around campus and I see Sparty, I kind of get excited just to see him. I want to go get a picture. It's just nice and fun. Kind of just rises my curiosity and makes me smile in a way. So when you're looking across like the NCAA and like when they advertise these different teams, I saw a team online this morning that was kind of made me laugh a little bit. It's Dartmouth University and their mascot is Keggy the Keg. It's a, <laughs> it's a keg, which is pretty funny. And um, I was just looking at that and I just started laughing. And like, it's not associated with the team at all and they haven't endorsed it the school hasn't endorsed it obviously i don't know why they would but i think it's just kind of funny does it give like a bad look at schools and if say they ever made it to an ncaa tournament and would they even invite that person out there to be on tv at all like would that look bad in a way for an ncaa team well so i i think i don't well one i don't care if it looks bad too i when we did (laughs) when i did my uh, full court press about mascots a couple weeks ago i was pushing for uh yosef the mountaineer (laughs) <laughs> from uh, App State to be given a fake bottle of moonshine and be allowed to dance around on a Capital One ad. So I don't think I'm the right person to ask if that would be offensive or not. I wish I was there for that. I've supported, I've supported that notion of crazy mascots doing crazy things before. But I, I have a nice touch on that too because I just went to Akron for a while where mm-hmm. like most of the fun of being on campus is running into Zippy. Like Akron doesn't win championships. Well, I shouldn't say that. We bas- <laughs> Basketball won two when I was there. So we, you know, one sport, one sport was able to, but but like football, it's kind of a meme. Like at Akron, it's like a <laughs> it's like a punchline. At a school like that, it's exactly when the stuff you're talking about should be even you know accentuated more. Because I mean, you're you're crowdsourcing for funds on Twitter. Just put the mascot <laughs> out there at that point. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> That is too good. I would so support um, Keggy the Keg as a mascot. For sure. That'd be great. For sure. That'd yeah, I was looking up a picture just now. That's a that's a very smiley keg right there. <laughs> it is, yeah. So I'd, I'd love to see it on national TV one day. I'd smile and just think right back to this podcast the yes, same hour, I'd get so day. excited. <laughs> you, hear, you heard it here for, first, folks. Can't talk now, but. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Kylie, you wanted to talk about why the colors of your program matter. Yeah, you don't want ugly colors. Um, Very I, straightforward. Yeah, you <laughs> don't want an, ugly you know colors. What? Before, you, before you go into this, give me an example off the top of your head of ugly colors. Purple and white. Who are you? Like, okay, so 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 pretty much like East Carolina. Yeah. Don't be gross. East Carolina. Anything involving brown. No, yeah, you don't want ugly colors because no one's going to want to wear your merchandise. I'm the biggest proponent of that. I've run into that. Um, in high school, I had ugly colors for my high school, and it was awful to wear them. That's fair. I think Michigan State has some of the greatest colors, personally. The green and white can go with pretty much anything. I like seeing also kind of like the cool color combo, like the Florida orange and blue. I think that <laughs> is so cool. I've always been a big fan of Clemson's uniform. Uh, yes. I think those are beautiful. Yes. Um, which is funny because I went to BG and I think the BG orange is like one of the most off-putting oranges I've yeah, ever seen in my life. Yeah, and then you pair with life. brown too. Yeah. Ooh. You see, when you mentioned brown, my immediate thought is Wyoming. The Wyoming colors drive me nuts because it's brown and yellow. Like, well, and who, it's like faded brown and faded yellow. Exactly. It's like they who didn't even care those? enough to have the actual mm-hmm. colors. Like that'll make or break how much money you're making off of merchandise. Who like wants to go there and like things like that? Because if you're talking about like, I've sat and talked about how cool uniforms are. Like, yeah, that's ugly. <laughs> Those faded yellow when and brown is just, ugly. Just because nobody can see what you're talking about. What school is that from? Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay, yeah. so you pull ugly. up the Wyoming jersey. It definitely, it'll make or break for branding. No one's going to want to buy a basketball jersey if it's brown and yellow. And also, to double back on last week, if you have really ugly jerseys and you have 
unique lighting it's 10 times worse Mm -hmm. yes like oh no but i like the special edition like when people do special edition colors Mm -hmm. and like special edition jerseys i think those are so cool for sure but yeah no i cannot support uh gross colors yeah no that's a good one that's a good one because it's such a (laughs) it's such an underrated aspect of like you just don't Mm -hmm. that could even play and i'm not i'm sure it has i'm not saying it should on like a typical basis but i'm sure there's like some idiot that has left this like that probably has played an impact on like recruiting at some point oh for sure some guys just like I just think it's ugly. I'm not going to go there. Yes. And like, especially for like, um, even like student stuff, like with student section merchandise. Oh, that's a good point. You don't want, the students aren't going to buy it. If it's like, I don't want to buy that $180 student section pass. If the shirt that comes with it is not like, is like, like not cute. And I like would never wear that out in public. Like, why would I want to purchase that? No, I think that's, I think that's spot on. Colin, you wanted to talk about the ASU curtain of distraction. I don't know what that is. <laughs> All right. It's so so cool. it's, I hear it's wild. Arizona state, they started their student section started this 10 years ago, 2013. And they do some crazy stuff. They are one of the top student sections for basketball in the country. Mm-hmm. And just like every other team, they're sitting there thinking of how do we distract people shooting free throws? Right. <laughs> You know, that's hire DeMar DeRozan's daughter. Well, that's one <laughs> way. The other way is to get Michael Phelps up there with gold medals and in his swimsuit dancing. You could also pick up Charlie Day or Miley Cyrus riding a wrecking ball. You know, those are also great distractions as ASU has done in the past. And I just love their creativity. Like, I wish more student sections would not so much more student sections, but more schools would allow this kind of like wild, crazy, like. They literally stick a PVC curtain out right behind the basket. They open it and have something wild going on right before the shot. And you never know what's going to be, and it's always on TV. And so I really wish more schools would, like, embrace that instead of, like, shutting it down. Because you know if Michigan State tried to do that with the Izone, like, someone would mess it up, you know. But Arizona State... (laughs) has really done a good job of going, okay, let's make this as crazy as possible. Let's make it as distracting as possible. And if it takes Michael Phelps in a bikini, what what else are you going to do, <laughs> right? You know, it usually ends up working. Well, I, I mean, not to mention that I, you say if we tried that here. Well, also, there's not nearly as much spotlight on Arizona State athletics because they never win anything. Yeah, It's a lot easier to get away with being crazy and, and having fun <laughs> like this. When there's no spotlight on your programs because you're doing stuff like firing Herm Edwards before he can even walk off the field. Uh, <laughs> don't mention that. No, no, I just, I, because I love the curtain of distraction, but I, I just, I, it just comes to mind where it's like, it's probably, you know, it's kind of like I say with the zippy thing where it's like, I'm glad they have the curtain of the distract, curtain of distraction at ASU because they don't seem to have much else right now. Yeah, no, not mm-hmm. really. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. But but I I did not know what that was I've I've now that I've, you were talking about it, I've I've seen that that's the one with uh they have uh from the office they have the prison mic in there too right yep that's yep. prison at some mic. point yeah, he's in there okay. as well yeah that's so that's what I thought good. <laughs> so good they do they do some wild stuff there. yeah <laughs> moving into the last one I, I I have my last so the full court press here I wanted to talk about because we've talked a lot about NIL and there is a bunch of buzz about that new NCAA football game that is coming out yes mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk about the sports games coming back that's pretty much it because with NIL doing what it has done and the changes that it has made and and the pro- policies and the legalization of all this stuff and the mainstreaming of all this stuff has happened an unforeseen benefit to this has been the closing of so many of those lawsuits surrounding the name image and likeness stuff with the old sports video games i don't mean like madden and stuff i mean the ncaa games because they used to have ncaa football every year just like madden and ncaa march madness which was the college basketball one every year like 2k and because they weren't paying any of the players for the name name image and likeness like if you had you know, uh, Jaden Akins in the game, it would just be his number and the player's name would be like number and then the number. So they're not putting their, because you can't put their name, image, and yeah. likeness in. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like number 14, like Michigan State. And like that's how those old football games worked. And like you could cut, you could do custom names and stuff. But my point is when NIL first came to the forefront and all this stuff was like, all these players were like, hey, you have to pay me to use my name. The games were the first thing to die. Those mm-hmm. games were the first thing to go away because <laughs> everybody wanted a pay cut from those things, 
EA was making a boatload of money, not giving any cut to the players. And it, it was wrong. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, a lot of people miss those games. A lot yeah. of people miss yes. playing those. Those are, in my opinion, probably the best sports games ever made. I think the NCAA ones. I don't Absolutely. think that. Oh yeah. I don't think that Madden is anywhere as good as those NCAA games. I don't think that 2K is as good. I don't play MLB or anything like that. But like, <laughs> I I think that those are the best sports games that have been made outside of like unless we're going back to like Tony Hawk. Like, oh, which is like, yeah. a, which is like a oh, monolith, which is like technically a sports game and is like a monolith of stuff. But like, but no, I, I not to get off point, but I really just I'm glad to see the rumors about those games coming back, and I'm glad because I totally understood why they went away. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, get get your money, guys. Like sue mm-hmm. sue EA Sports or whatever the whoever the hell was making the games. But I'm just glad that we're reaching a point to where that is less of a thing that's getting dragged through court year after year. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we can just expect that annual enjoyment again. Because those games were fun. Yeah. And like Madden sucks. Like Madden gets worse <laughs> every year. <laughs> I, I I don't have to tell anybody that. I Madden gets worse every year. The other thing is like sports games from the pro leagues, since they're connected to the pro leagues, they have all those stupid microtransactions. Yeah. Yep. It's all the loot oh, boxes man. and mm-hmm. shit like that. You know, whereas those old NCAA games didn't have any of that. It was just the sports games, which I just I just wanted to talk about it for a little bit because we, we talk so much about NIL comes up every week. Yeah, mm-hmm. it comes up every week, whether I want it to or not, whether we want it to or not. Doesn't matter. It comes up all the time. It's and, changed the game. Yeah. And, and we talk so much about how it's changed it for negative reasons. Coaches never shut shut up about how bad NIL is. And it's like. Yeah, but also, like, NIL has paved the way for us to get cool stuff again, like these video games. Yeah, like, yes. it's so cool. Jerseys for... with players' names on the backs. You wow, know? Yes. what a concept. When I, when, I wear my, <laughs> when I wear my old Trevor Booker jersey from Clemson stuff, I don't have to, who's 35? You just have your name, the name on the jersey. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. No, it, I can't believe that. That's, don't even get me started on the jersey thing, because I can't believe that functioned like that for so long. And nobody was like, why isn't my name on my jersey? Like, you're just yeah. selling my jersey with my number. People know it's my jersey. It's not <laughs> terrible. Whatever. That, so we'll, we'll wrap up there for this week. <laughs> that is everything we've had. A quick update. This is our last episode for this semester. And we are going to move to, I believe we talked about a monthly schedule we were all thinking would be good. Mm-hmm. So we will have one episode a month. May, June, July, and then check back in around August when the semester is picking back up. We're all back in the area. We have easier access to the studio. But we will have stuff over the summer. We're not just going to leave everybody high and dry. We obviously will have these four episodes up. But other than that, that is our time for today. Guys, this has been fun starting this off. Derek, I know you've gotten on the last two. Kylie, Colin, you guys have been on all four. Colin, you even did the the uh, the pilot with me when we were coming in on a Saturday. I mean, this has just been really fun to get this started, and I'm excited to take this into next year. Yes, yeah. I'm so excited for next year. It's like been getting a blast. into like the actual season. I'm yeah, so well, yeah, and we started this literally the week the season ended. Yeah, so we've been trying to stri- find content and fun ideas for the last four weeks. I think I think we've had fun with it, but I mean, we're gonna come back in the fall and have a full slate of previews and reviews and all types of cool stuff we can talk about. So keep an eye on that. Other than that, I I think we're wrapping up. Thank you all for your help with all of this and getting this started, and this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.